This is the last in the series, You in Five Years. I want to talk to you about a very specific topic today, but I also want to share with you about what's coming next week. Pastor Jake in the announcements talked about that this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. We begin Lent. For the period of time that Lent is, you know, six weeks prior to Easter, I'm going to be sharing a series of messages called Calm Before the Storm. Six life lessons from Jesus from the upper room. So I want to encourage you this week and over the course of Lent to delve into John's Gospel, chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. Okay, it's like six chapters, right? Five chapters. And just read them over because, listen, these are the last instructions, the last teaching of Jesus to his disciples before he goes to the cross. And Jesus gives them six life lessons that if you're in a storm, if you're headed into a storm, if you've just come out of a storm, you need to know. Calm before the storm. This morning I want to talk to you about what it means to make the next five years great with God. Now, you know what we've been talking about, right? Why it's so hard to change. How do you develop and maintain healthy habits? This whole series is based on a simple thought, and that is, if you want a different tomorrow, you have to change your habits today because you become tomorrow what your habits are today. Listen, good intentions are not enough. Good intentions give you a little squirt to get you going, but they're not going to keep you going. You've got to develop and maintain godly habits if you want a different tomorrow. So we talked about how to make the next five years great relationally, how to make the next five years great financially, and today, how to make the, uh, the next five years great with God. How many of you would love to have an absolute stellar relationship with the Lord? Can I see your hands? Okay, everybody here wants that. How do you get that? It's sort of like marriage. Don't raise your hands for this one. Right? I think everybody who's married wants to have a great relationship with their spouse, right? I mean, nobody gets married to say, two out, you know, zero out of 10. I'd like to have a two. I want to live my whole life in misery with a little bit of happiness, but basically, I'm good. Almost everybody who's married says, I want a great relationship with my spouse. Well, how do you have a great relationship with your spouse? Interesting study that came out. Marriages that are great, the couples spend a minimum of 20 minutes a day in meaningful conversation. I find that fascinating because I thought it'd be more. Right, I envision great marriages sitting down for hours, talking about meaningful things. The study said, nope, I mean, that happens, right? That's fine, but the study just says 20 minutes. If you spend, now I'm not talking about, did you pick up the dry cleaning? I'm not talking about, did you put car the gas? I'm not talking about the schedule for next week for your kids. I'm talking about meaningful conversation. You know what that is, right? It's, it's sharing your heart. It's not just, you know, 
like I just talked about, is it's just sharing your heart. 20 minutes a day is what it takes to have a great marriage if you can have meaningful conversation. So I just carry that over because the primary metaphor for our relationship with Christ is the marriage metaphor. He's the bridegroom, we're the, we're the bride, right? So the question becomes, how can you have a great and meaningful relationship with the Lord? What would it be like if you just spent 20 minutes a day with God? You think you could move your relationship from a two to a seven? From a six to an eight? From a seven to a 10? Wherever you're at today, what if you spent 20 minutes a day in meaningful conversation with God? Luke chapter five, verse 16 says these words about Jesus. Jesus oftentimes withdrew to lonely places to pray. Where's your lonely place? See, I I think we're afraid to be alone. I don't think we should be afraid. Because if you want to make the next five years great with God, you need to find a lonely place. Just 20 minutes. It can be more, but just 20 minutes where you spend time with the Lord. That could be your couch downstairs, that could be a chair upstairs in a den, that could be a separate office place, that could be in your car. I mean, it could be anywhere, right? It's, the location really doesn't matter. It's just, where's your lonely place? But you know, what I have found is one of the greatest challenges of my life, me, Mark, personally, is spending meaningful time with God. That's been the greatest challenge of my life. Yesterday, I sat down to have my devotions, which is another way of saying spending time with God. It's a synonym. And here's what went through my mind. I sit down, I open up my Bible, I, I have a notebook with me, and here's what went through my mind well, I really need to rewrite my message for this morning. At four o'clock yesterday afternoon, I officiated at a funeral service, at a funeral home. I really should look over my notes once again. Oh, I forgot to clean the gutters out in my house. And I gotta tell you, the list went on and on and on. And there was such a temptation for me to just fire up my computer and rework the message for today, because this is what I typically do on Saturday. It was a temptation for me. I spiritualized it. I'm gonna, in, in three hours, I'm gonna be at a funeral service. I better know what I'm doing. You know what else I've struggled with through the years? Am I doing it right? What does it mean to do it right? How do I know? What do I do with Bible passages that I have no idea what they mean? I mean, for crying out loud, I have two theology degrees and I still run across Bible verses. I'm like, I got nothing. I don't know. What resources do you use when you're stuck? Do you just skip over the difficult Bible verses and go on? Here's one. What's wrong with me that I don't understand God's word better? 
If, if I was more spiritual, maybe I'd just understand and get something out of God's word. What about all those crazy verses in the Old Testament? What do I do with those? And the list in my mind has gone on and on and on. Now, as I've been sharing some of my thoughts, I see some of you just, yep, okay. So you've been there too. Can you resonate with some of the questions that I ask myself even today on a regular basis? And why is it so hard to sit down and have your time with the Lord? Well, you've got another voice in your head, don't you? You've got the voice of the, of the devil saying, oh, don't, no, 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 oh, you, you know, prepare this and clean out the gutter and do that. And because the devil knows the one thing he doesn't want you to do is read your Bible and spend time with the Lord because that's going to make you strong and he wants to keep you vulnerable. So there's always a spiritual battle whenever you crack open this book. Oh, and by the way, I didn't even say this. This book is intimidating. You see how thick it is? I mean, there's volumes written on this book. What I want to do over the next few moments is to give you a, not the, a simple way that you can spend meaningful time with God that I think is helpful, that I have used for years. Now listen, you may have a different way. That's okay. I'm just giving you a way. But here's what I've discovered. A wise person said to me years ago, you may not like my way, but if you have no way, my way's better. You know what I'm saying? If you've got a way that works for you, you just stay with it. But if you struggle with actually having a meaningful time with the Lord, pick this way for a while until you find a different way. And so here's the way that I want to talk to you about in the next few moments, and it uses the acronym SOAP. How many of you heard this before? All none of you. Here it is, SOAP. S-O-A-P, Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer. Here it is. So just give me like, like 10, 15 minutes to go over this, and then I'm going to come back to the matrix that we've been using over the course of this series, and then I'm going to close with a challenge, okay? So here we go. S stands for Scripture. Now, there's four questions you need to answer with regard to Scripture, and that is, where do I begin how much should I read? What Bible version is best? And what about devotional guides? I got all kinds of things up here. I want to make sure I got them all in line. So where do you begin? You ever, you ever crack open your Bible and just say, I have no idea where to begin? So here's my thought. Not the Old Testament. <laughs> Start in the New Testament. Specifically, I would start with one of the Gospels. If you really want to press me, I'd say John. John is the more readable of the Gospels. Not to say Matthew's not good, right? But start with John, then go back over the Gospels, and then go to the letters of Paul, letters of Peter. Stay away from Revelation for a while. Not that I don't think it's God's word. I believe it's God's word. But people write volumes about Re Revelation, and anybody that tells you they know what the book of Revelation is about does not really know. I'm just telling you, nobody really understands the book of Revelation. The original hearers did, 
but we are so far culturally removed, we can only get snap size pieces, okay? So where should you begin? I, I would suggest John's gospel, the New Testament, not the Old Testament. Okay, how much should you read? I prefer bite-sized pieces. You don't get any points with God for reading through the book of John in three days. You're not more spiritual. I would do bite-sized pieces, a few verses at a time. You don't want to drink from a fire hydrant. You want to take a sip. Now, there's nothing wrong with reading through the Bible in a year. In fact, I've done this for decades. I'm doing it right now. But that's not my devotional time. I read through the Bible whether I'm, when I'm exercising or whether I'm in the car or I have my earbuds in and I just listen to chapter after chapter and I'm just soaking in God's word. Sometimes I'm driving and I'm listening someplace in Leviticus, right? Because Leviticus is good to be listening to when you're driving because nobody really understands Leviticus either, okay? And so I just want to read through the Bible in a year because I think it gives me a broader scope, kind of a meta-narrative. The Bible is God's love letter to his people. In the Old Testament, it's God's love letter to Israel. In the New Testament, it's God's love letter to the new Israel, which is the church. And so I would just pick a few verses at a time, bite-sized pieces. Um, what version of the Bible should you read? What version is best? The one that works for you. If old King James works for you, God bless you. King James doesn't work for me. I personally use New Living Translation supplemented by the message version. And I just go back and forth. Sometimes when I read a section of scripture, sometimes I'll go to five or six different versions. You can do that, by the way, on the Bible app. You can just read the same verse and just look at different versions. I would suggest that you pick, by default, a readable version that's helpful to you. So what about devotional guides? I brought a devotional guide with me today, and it's the one that we make available to you, the word for you today. <clears throat> Some people spend time with the Lord by every day reading a devotional. I think that that's great. You go ahead and do that. But let me issue you a challenge. Use this as an appetizer or a dessert. I'm not even saying every day. I'm just saying, this is a great appetizer. This is a great dessert, but there's nothing like delving into God's word and just looking at God's word saying, what, what is this saying to me today? I think these are great. I use these. So hear what I'm saying. I'm reading the Bible all the way through this year. I'm also using my devotional, but I'm doing something else. I'm doing S-O-A-P, okay? So observation. As you're reading bite-sized pieces of the Bible, I think there's three questions that everybody always ought to ask, and that is, is there a promise I can claim? Is there a sin I must repent of? And is there a command to obey? So is there a promise I can claim? I, you know, there are so many, there are hundreds of promises in the Bible. Some are meant to specific people promises, but a lot of promises are just general promises that each of God's people can claim. So let me give you just three promises. Let's say you're working your way through little bite-sized pieces of Philippians. You come across Philippians 4.19. My God will meet all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? My God 
will meet all my needs. There's gotta be somebody here who's struggling financially. You need to hear that. God has promised to meet all your needs. There's somebody here struggling physically. You should hear that. God has promised to meet all your needs. God didn't promise he's gonna take away your cancer. God didn't promise he's gonna take away your physical afflictions. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. It's God's individual plan in your life. But the reality is God is always there to meet your needs no matter what. Well, what about Romans 8, 28? For we know that in all things God works for the good to those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It doesn't say that everything happens to us is good. It says that in the things that happen to us, God's working for the good. In other words, oftentimes the bad things that happen to us actually become the best things that happen to us in our life because they move us to a different place spiritually. I could spend the rest of the day telling you about things that I hated that happened to me, and now I, I realize five years later that was the best thing that ever happened to me. But at the time, I hated it and cried out to God and whined and said, oh God, why have you allowed this to happen to me? You're in a moment. You claim a promise from God that says, in this moment, it doesn't feel good. In fact, it feels like you've abandoned me. Psalm 22, verse 1, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? You know who else said that? Jesus on the cross. I love this one, James 4, 8, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. That's so simple, it's a promise. If you will take a step toward God, he will take a step towards you. You know what a spiritual mentor said to me one time? Blew my mind. You're as close to God as what you want to be. Oh, no, that can't be true. It is. You're as close to God as what you want to be. If you want to have a great marriage, what are you going to do? You're going to spend 20 minutes a day in meaningful conversation with your spouse. You can move it from a 7 to a 10, a 3 to a 6. It's the same exact thing with God. If you'll draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Okay, so that's, is there a promise to claim? Whatever your bite-sized portion is, just look and say, is there something I can claim here, a promise from God? The second is, is there a sin I must repent of? Have you ever read through, by the way, the Apostle Paul loves lists. Have you ever been reading through the epistles of Paul and he just gives one list after another? So Paul gives all these lists of sins. So I, I ran across one the other day, Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Is that up on the screen? Can we show that one? Do you have that? You don't have it? Okay, I'll read it to you. When you follow, this is the Apostle Paul saying, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity. What does that word mean? It's a Greek word that means uncleanness in your thought life. Now, let's stop there for just a moment. How did I know that impurity means uncleanness in your thought life? I looked it up on the internet. I typed in Galatians chapter five, verse 19. What does the word impurity mean in this context? You can do that. Anybody can do that. Lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility. Hostility means what? I had to look it up. Hostility toward God. Quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division. Interestingly, division, this word means taking sides unfairly. Just picking sides. Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. So it's kind of a generic, yeah, and all these other things, right? So am I the only one who's ever been reading a list someplace in the Bible and went, ooh, number three, that's me. 
Is there a sin I must repent of? God's word is beautiful, but God's word is also convicting. You read something in scripture and immediately you go, ooh, it kind of stabs me in my heart. That's me. The third is, is there a command to obey? Well, the command in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, the scripture I just shared with you, you know, that list, the command is don't live according to your sinful nature, but live according to the spirit. And then the last is, is there, the last is application. So scripture, observation, application, and that is how do you stop following the desires of your sinful nature? Well, one is confess your sins to God and repent, which, turns, which means turning your back on them. But, but go through that list, right, and say, what do I need to stop doing? Listen, in the application section, remember, don't get lost, Scripture, where do you begin, how much do you read, all that kind of thing. Observation, is there a promise to claim? Is there a sin I need to repent of? Is there a command I need to obey? Application is what's one thing I can take away from my scripture chunk? So for some of you in that list, it could simply be this. I gotta stop going to wild parties. Because wild parties take me places that afterwards I feel bad. It's not hard. You just need to take the scripture and apply it personally to you. Is there something you should stop doing? Is there something you should start doing? What's your one thing? And then prayer, S-O-A-P, prayer is two prayers. Holy Spirit, open my eyes to see your promises, commands, and anything I need to repent of. And the second is, Holy Spirit, is there anything else you want to say to me? Okay, so that's it. S-O-A-P. Well, who cares? Why does that matter? What's your why? If I took a poll of everybody in this room, everybody who's watching online, I bet you most people would say this. Well, I know I should spend time with the Lord. Should never gets you anywhere. You know why you get to spend time with the Lord? Because he's the one who knows you best and loves you most. Wouldn't you want to spend time with somebody who knows you best and loves you most? That's your big why. Your should's not your big why. Your spouse nagging you is not your big why. Some internal should isn't why. It's that you've got a heavenly father who loves you and wants to spend time with you. And so when you spend time with him, he not only affirms who you are as a person, but he strengthens you when you feel weak. He encourages you when you feel discouraged. He's the one that makes your life better. Know your who. Your who is, if you know Jesus, you have a personal relationship with him and you've become a child of God. And just like you want to spend a lot of time with your kids, God wants to spend a lot of time with you. Just like you want to invest in your children, you want your kids to flourish, God wants to invest in you, and God wants you to flourish. You get to spend time with daddy. You don't have to spend time with daddy. 
Willpower is not enough. You know why willpower is not enough? Because we start off with great energy and then by January 13th, we all go back to our old habits. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So that's why you pray. You say, Lord, help me because I'm in a spiritual battle here. Everything in me is distracting me from reading your word. By the way, Rick Warren said one time that God talking to you is the Bible. Prayer is you talking to God. I think that that's a fairly decent analogy. We want to hear more of God. We'll read more of God's word. Study more of God's word. Meditate more on God's word. Willpower is not enough. You need the Holy Spirit to really help you. Okay, so how do you create and maintain a great habit of leaning into the Lord and having a meaningful time with him? Start small, right? We're gonna standardize before we optimize. Just start small. So I said 20 minutes. For some of you, you'll be doing good for two. Two minutes every day over a period of six months cements a habit, standardized before optimized. Just take two minutes and then build up. Make it easy. Make it obvious. Put your Bible next to your cup of coffee in the morning. Or if you don't have a Bible because everything is on your phone, set a reminder for you. Stack your habits. Sometimes I have my devotions while I'm on the exercise machine. Is that legal? Can you do that? Of course you can do that. I talked to somebody recently that said, I spent a lot of time in my car. Can I have my devotions in the car? You can absolutely have your devotions in the car. Get used to boring. Boring is the seed of greatness. You know why a lot of people struggle with having their devotions? Is because it's boring to them. I know it shouldn't be, but it is. Sometimes you'll spend 20 minutes with God and you get nothing. It's just like, I don't know. I'm in Leviticus. I have no idea what this means. Lord, show me what it means to put hands on the animal and let them go into the wilderness. I don't know. Hey, listen, <laughs> do not raise your hands. <laughs> Men, listen to me, don't raise your hands. Not every conversation with your spouse is electric. Maybe you think it should be, but it's not. When you spend a tremendous amount of time together, even silence is good. Silence isn't bad. Silence doesn't mean that there's an argument going on and you're steaming. Silence just means you don't have anything meaningful to share at that moment. Can you be happily married together, not saying anything, but just being great, being in each other's company? I think we call that mature love. Not everything is going to be spark and electricity. God is creating in you muscle mass. So the idea is, is that if you will spend meaningful time with the Lord 
And sometimes you're going to have to go through boring seasons where it doesn't feel like you're getting anything out of God's word. That's okay because that doesn't mean that God isn't working in your life because God is building up muscle just like you go to the gym, right? God is building up muscle. And then one day something really does happen and you're able to acknowledge it and see it and rejoice in it. Understand the law of sowing and reaping. You reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, you reap after you sow. I promise you this, hear this from my heart to yours. If you will consistently spend time with the Lord, just 20 minutes a day, do the best that you can. Use SOAP, S-O-A-P, Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer. If you will do this 20 minutes a day over the course of the next several weeks, here's what will happen. You'll hear more from God than if you wouldn't have. And here's what's interesting. Sometimes when you're not even having your time with the Lord, you'll hear the Lord speak to you at other moments and you'll know it's him. I told you that yesterday I officiated at a funeral and I didn't know it until the day, be, the day before. And so I was really pretty quick in sermon preparation. So I went into my um, bedroom on Friday well, I'll just be honest. I went into the bathroom on Friday. <laughs> and we have a devotional there. And I'm sitting there. Nothing more. <laughs> I'm just sitting there. And all I can think about is this funeral. And here's what I said. God, I don't have anything. What am I supposed to say? And I just let it go. I didn't, I didn't know. And then I looked down and next to that area <laughs> was a devotional from Charles Spurgeon 150 years ago. I forgot it was there. It was underneath the toilet paper. I literally took out six rolls of toilet paper. I was like, oh, there it is. I took it out, no joke. I just opened it up. I did one of those things that preachers tell you never to do, open up the word of God, right? Never do that, but I did. I just opened it up and it was a perfect paragraph that applied to the funeral that I was gonna officiate at yesterday. I literally took that whole chunk out and I put it into this funeral message and I knew it was God. Okay, now listen. You will have moments like that too. You will have moments when something like lightning will strike and you'll be like, yes, this is it for the moment. But listen, you have to stay connected to God in a meaningful way because you're going to miss it if you don't. So, up on the altars here, I have a handout, and here's my challenge to you. This has SOAP on it. It has all the points, the questions on it, just one simple way. And the worship team is going to come up in a moment, and while they're singing, I'm going to invite you to come forward and just pick this up. Remember, it's a plan. It's not the plan. If this doesn't do anything for you, that's totally fine. But 
if this would be helpful to you, then just get up and pick it up and then bring it back. Here's my challenge to you. 20 minutes for seven days. That's it. 20 minutes for seven days. I read a study this week that said that half of all born-again Christians read their Bible at least once a week. Half. 9% of born-again Christians, I'm, I'm sorry, 9% of born-again Christians read their Bible two times a month. 33% of born-again Christians never or seldom read their Bible at all. So here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking this message isn't for newbies. You know, if, if you've given your life to Christ in this past six months, year, whatever, th this is great for you, but here's what I'm really thinking. I'm thinking that actually this is for people who have been walking with the Lord for decades. And for whatever reason, you still struggle with spending regular time with the Lord. Here's my challenge to you. 20 minutes over the next seven days. That's it. One more thought. This whole message is about how to make the next five years great with God. Do you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? None of this makes sense unless you can actually have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, how do you begin a relationship with Jesus? By inviting him into your life, by confessing who he said he was, that he is the son of God, he's the Messiah, he's the savior of mankind, that Jesus' death on the cross, he took your sins in mind on himself so that you could live a life of forgiveness and cleansing. Jesus rose from the dead to break the power of sin so that you can walk free of sin and walk a clean life. If that's an appealing message to you, if you feel weighted down and guilty and shameful because of your own sins, this is a moment where you just turn to God and you say, God, forgive me of all my sins. I invite you, Jesus, to come into my life. That is the beginning of a great relationship with God. If that sounds right for you, <clears throat> this is your morning. You don't need to do anything. I'm not asking you to come forward. I'm not asking you to stand. I'm not asking you to do anything other than to just say, if this is what's right for you today, why don't you invite Jesus to come into your heart? Would you stand, please? Holy Spirit, speak to each of us about our walk with you for people who today is their day to begin a relationship with you. Give them the courage to open up their heart to say yes and invite you to come in. For those of us, Lord, who have struggled to have a meaningful time with you, would you give us the courage to begin again so that we can experience a deeper walk with you? In Jesus' name, amen.